0: Our sermon today is going to be from Luke 9, verses 37 through 43. If you please rise out of honor of God's word. Luke 9, 37 through 43. That's found on page 1103 in your Black Pew Bible or 1254 in the Adventure Bible. Luke 9, verses 37 through 43. They read in Jesus' name. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and shatters him, and would hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word and to strive to apply it to our lives, Lord, we ask that you would guide us in your truth, Father, for your word is truth, and we need your truth. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so just as a heads up, I'm going to strive as best as I can to preach this sermon simply out of Luke. Because as I was reading this, the other texts in the Synoptic Gospels kept coming to mind. It's like, no, that's not what Luke is pointing to. Not that those things aren't true, not that those things aren't relevant, not those those things aren't pertinent and shouldn't be brought in, but I'm just trying to confine myself instead of taking the easy route and looking at those other texts. Because those other texts are actually focusing on different things. And so you've got one story that has different emphases. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all are emphasizing different things. And so the question is, what's Luke emphasizing about this story. Because I don't, have you guys ever heard the same story from two different people? Are they identical? Never. And so these numbs, I mean, these scholars, these scholars who say, well, obviously, the the gospels aren't true because the stories aren't 100% identical. It's like, whatever. They're pointing at different things. So what's Luke trying to get at? Well, as Luke starts out, he actually adds to, he adds well, he focuses on the powerlessness of, this, of the people in this situation. Because we start out, and he's talking about his son coming to Jesus. Jesus. So this is right after the transfiguration. We see the glory of God in the transfiguration. And then we come down from the mountain, and we encounter the fallibility and the powerlessness of people. Because the son, the boy, is powerless. The spirit seizes him. Now, we don't know how this boy came to the place where he was demon-oppressed. We don't know if he's demon-possessed or not, but he's demon-oppressed. We don't know how he got there. There's lots of speculation. Oftentimes with pagan, occultic, with pagan rituals and occultic rituals, they would offer children, even if it's not as a blood sacrifice, they would offer children to the demonic powers for the sake of power. The parents would do that, or they would offer the children when they're young So that as that child grew up, that that child would then have power in this world. Power as in prestige, authority, boldness, things of that sort. The, The way that our world thinks about power. They would offer these children so that those children could grow up into positions of power. So that they could become great leaders. So that they could become bold and courageous men. That was one of the things that they would do. And so as they were interacting with pagan religions which are on the rise again what happened the demonic powers came and took over but as the demonic powers promise power what do they actually do they take away freedom so what good is power without freedom nothing so if someone imagine so because money is a measurement of power kind of so if someone gave you a million dollars and said you can or well, actually just use old Henry Ford joke. Henry Ford decided that you could have any color car you want as long as it's black. I'll give you a million dollars as long as you spend it on what I want you to spend it on. Well, what good does that do you? What good is power if you have no freedom, if you have no ability to do with it what you want? And so the demonic powers would give power, but then they take freedom so that the people then become bound. This child is bound. He is powerless. He can't defeat the demon. The demon comes upon him, seizes him, and he can't get out of it. Think about that for a moment. How would you like to be in that situation? This is a terrible situation for this boy to be in. And then you take, I I work to put myself into the shoes. What would it be like if a demonic power came and grabbed hold of my child? Think about that for a moment. Does it still happen? Yeah. I actually had a friend who's a missionary in Brazil. His name was Connolly Dirude, And um, Connolly was interacting out. He wasn't in the jungle, but he was interacting with, I don't remember what sort of religion it was. It was some spiritist animist religion. But he, re, he told the story about a baby speaking, a demon speaking through the voice of a baby. And so, like, at what age does this start? The parents dedicated the baby to the demonic power, and the demonic power then had control over the baby, which teaches us something about baptism, but I'm not going to go into that either. But so, yeah, does this happen nowadays? Yeah. Does it happen even in America? Well, if parents are involved in that stuff, their kids are going to be involved in that stuff. And so this isn't something to just say, well, that was for back then, and God's obviously working in some other dispensation now because of reasons. No, this is this is a reality. The demonic powers are out there. The spiritual world is real. We need to remember this. As we're interacting with politics, as we're interacting with false teachers, idolatry, um, ideologies, the demonic powers are real. This isn't just, oh, that's their opinion. It's like, no, there's, there are, there are evil things at play in our world. Period. And we need to battle them with spiritual powers because the earthly powers don't work. Because if as a dad, if there was something taking control of my child, I would do everything in my power to get that child free. The father's powerless. Think about that. How, how do you like to be absolutely powerless? We have a lot of authority. We have a lot of control in this world, but when push comes to shove, we're really very powerless. Powerless. You know, and that's where that father is. He's being confronted full on by his powerlessness. And so what does he do? Well, let's bring him to the disciples of Jesus. But now we see that the disciples are powerless too, which is interesting because prior to this, they had been casting out demons. Prior to this, they had been healing people. But when it comes to this, something's going on. And so within their relationship with Christ, I don't know what's happening exactly, specifically, but they have become made powerless. But you know the fascinating thing about that? The disciples did not bring this man and his boy to Jesus. You notice that? Who comes to Jesus? Not the disciples. They're not saying, Master, what's going on? Why can't we drive this demon out yet? They tried and they failed. And then the dad goes above, over their heads and goes to Jesus. So dad takes the initiative. The disciples don't take the initiative. And that makes me wonder if the disciples were starting to trust in themselves instead of in Jesus. Trust in their power instead of in Christ's power. Maybe they were embarrassed. They were ashamed. You know, but yeah, they were, we talked about shame at our men's Bible study. So if any of you men missed it, you shouldn't have. Um, Just a little bit of guilt, not a whole lot. But what is shame? Shame is fear that I'm going to be revealed, that my faults and my failings are going to be revealed. So yeah, they they avoided Jesus because of shame. That's quite possible. And they let that fear come in the way. Kevin. What, would this also be part of the discipleship though too? Is, you know, you're going, you know, as the disciples are going out... Would this be as they were learning about, the, or, you know, as other people are learning about it? would this be like the next ladder down that he would be able to come and see for himself? Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point, Kevin, because to see this as part of Jesus' discipleship of his disciples. Any of you have ever had been training, have any of you ever trained someone to do something? Did you ever give them a task that's a little bit beyond them? giving them the opportunity to fail. I, I do that to my kids all the time. We give them opportunities to fail because how do we learn? we learn that through that failure and then that drives us, but that should drive us back to Christ. If, if we think of ourselves, and I hope you do, I hope you think of yourselves right now as disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is actively right now through me, but in other man, means, discipling you. He is trying to make you sanctified. If you're a Christian, he is discipling you into sanctification, into being a disciple maker, into a lot of things. But he is discipling you, so he's going to put you into situations where you're going to fail. What do you do in that situation? Oh, I'm such a failure. I'm going to beat myself up because reasons. Um, no, if I have an employee or if I have a my if my child if Anton is working, I, I gave him my mother in law gave me a bunch of those little. Um, Uh, blacksmith puzzles, the little metal puzzles that you have to take apart and put back together. And she, she gave me a bunch of them and I played with them and whatever. And then I gave them to Anton. And these are great because some of them are right at his level. Some of them are a little bit beyond his level. Some of them are at Soren's level, which I still don't understand how that works. But some of them really frustrate him. And so what does he do? He comes to me to help him figure them out. Because that's the way we do it. So if Christ puts us into a situation that's beyond us, what should we do? Beat ourselves up? No, we should go to Jesus. Jesus, what do I do? Because he is, our, he is our master. He is our disciple maker. He is our friend. He is our counselor. He is our guide. And so the disciples didn't do that. There's something wrong in their relationship to Christ. Probably shame. I would bet that Beth is right. It was probably shame. But on Jesus' side, he's discipling them. He's trying to make them grow. So he allows, because he is still God, God is allowing the disciples to run into a situation where their lack of faith is tried. You think you're so great? Try this one. So what does Jesus do? Jesus reveals the problem. So Jesus says, Oh, I'm in the Transfiguration. That's not right. Jesus answered, "O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here." And so, generation. What does that mean? Does that just mean like you know I'm a what am I? Gen Xer, Millennial? I'm right on the right on the border. I'm confused. <laughs> My generation is confused. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, actually. Sadly. Um, <laughs> But we're not talking about that sort of generation, like the 30-year gap or the 10-year gap. I think the generation alpha was like five years or something like that. Generation Y. We talk about that stuff. You know, them baby boomers. We talk about those things. That's not how that's being used. It's not talking about age groups. It's not talking about years. It's not talking about lifespans. What Jesus is talking about and what the biblical authors are talking about when they speak of generations are groups of people. What this group of people, oh, faithless and twisted group of people. Because you are within this generation and you're within this generation. We have a faithful and non-twisted one. We have a faithless and a twisted one. Those are two different generations. Those are two different groupings of people. They don't have an external demonstrator. You know, like we could talk about races. Most races have external demonstrators. But when we're talking about generations, we're not talking about something that you can see on the outside. We're talking about something that changes the groups from within. And so when Jesus says that, he's pointing to the faithless and twisted group of people. And I don't think he's saying, as I prayed through this, like, Lord, are you exasperated with them? Oh, faithless and twisted generation. I don't think Jesus would do that. I would probably do that. But Jesus is a lot more godly than I am. So I shouldn't read my emotions into Christ. actually read this. I actually see him Pointing to the problem, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you and bear with you? He's not exasperated. He's pointing to the real fault and pointing to the effects that it's having on him. He's doing this out of love for the disciples. Because if he's doing this out of love for himself, then he's not God. Because God loves us. And so he's pointing this stuff out for the sake of God. He's pointing this stuff out out of love for his disciples and he's showing them the reason that this has happened is because you are faithless. You are not trusting me. You're not trusting me. And that goes back to they're probably trusting themselves. Trusting in their own power, their own ability. Have you guys ever done that? Trusting your ability to get something done and then had it fail? Because something else in this world came up. I was butchering a hog yesterday. And I figured I had enough time. And then I got a phone call from someone who needed a ride to Mountain Lake. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to get this done. Because now I've lost an hour and a half out of this time that I had. And so I had to set my, you know, my plans. I would have been able to achieve my plans had the world not gotten in the way of my plans. But what does that show us? We're powerless. I am in and of myself powerless. I, I can't change the world. I can't even make, I can't even plan my day right. Things come up. So if we're trusting in ourselves, we're going to fail. But Jesus is saying, who are you to be trusting in? You've been put into a situation when you fail. What do you do then? You call upon God. You trust in him. You don't trust in your power. You don't trust in your ability. You don't trust in your giftings. You don't trust in yourself. You don't trust in humanity because we're powerless. We call upon God. We trust in God. We look to God. We hope in God. We look to Him because He is actually powerful. Isn't He? Do you believe that God is powerful? You know, He's the one who created everything with a word. Could He change things with a word too? Yeah. God is powerful. So we trust Him. We look to Him. We hope in Him. We have faith in Him. Not only that though, Jesus says, faithless and twisted generation. So what does that mean? So even if we trust in God, we oftentimes trust in God wrongly. At least I do. This was really convicting for me this week because I find that I trust in God wrongly. I trust in God so that he would get my stuff done. And I put myself in the place of God and I put God in the place of helper. I want God to fulfill my dreams. I want God to fulfill my hopes. I'm going to trust God to bless me. God says, Joe, who are you here for? Am I here to live, live my best life now? <laughs> am I here for myself or am I here for God? The twisted generation gets that flipped. God's here for me. No, I'm supposed to be here for God. This isn't for my reputation. This isn't for my glory. This isn't for my praise. I should be willing to put myself into a situation that's totally embarrassing for the sake of God. If I refuse that, that means that my pride comes before God. My reputation comes before God. My sense of self-satisfaction and self-worth comes before God, which means those things are God, above God. And so what are we here for? Twisted generation says, God's here for me. Godly generation says, I'm here for God. I serve him. I do his work. Because it's, is it the work of God to release someone who's oppressed by a demon? You think God would want that? Absolutely. God wants someone who's oppressed, released. That's what God wants. But you know what I found in my own self, and as I've watched other people, oftentimes we'll do the work of God so that we get the glory. See what I did? See what God's done through me? Oh. Come on, Joe, that's not the point. Because Jesus reveals the truth. So could it also point to the fact that in their twisted and faithless you know standing, they sought other gods to you know that this father had offered his son up to other gods? Yeah. Yeah, if you put that on the father, I guess I focus that on the disciples, but if you put that on the father, you, yeah, he's a faithless and twisted, a member of the faithless and twisted generation because he's willing, probably willing to offer his son to the demonic powers, to the false gods, to get power and to get authority. So that those gods would then serve him. Then he ended up having to fight those gods. You know, that's interesting. I didn't think about it in terms of the father and the son and all of the crowd. Huh. I'll have to contemplate that. But not right now. No. <laughs> Unless you guys want to stand, sit there and watch me contemplate something. And as long as, long as you, talk you talk to yourself. As long as I talk to myself. Well yeah. <laughs> Interior running dialogue. Yeah, that would be confusing. Yep so what is what does Jesus reveal then? Bring your son, O faithless and twisted generation, How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here? I don't think that's the right sub points are they are those the ones I sent you okay so so jesus Jesus calls the disciples <laughs> I've got a different sermon in my head than what's up there. So I'm going to preach the one that's in my head because I can't preach the one that's up there because I don't know how that fits with the text. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's... Well, we have to be careful that we're not distracted. And <laughs> tied that in. No, don't worry about it. Um, so Christ calls. So what is the majesty of God? The majesty of God is a revelation of who God really is. What, what is God? Who has this power? What is the reality of God? The reality of God is that he calls. He calls the Father and the Son to him. Bring your child here. This reveals to us, this call reveals to us the love that God actually has for us. That we're not in this alone. You know, what, is, what are we told in the book of Romans? All, uh, it's told in the book of Romans. It's quoting, I think, Isaiah. or No, actually, it's Joel. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what are we seeing here? We are seeing a father calling upon Christ and Christ giving him salvation. Is this because of some greatness of the father? Is it because its father had no sin in his life? Odds are he was into pagan practices. So it's not that the father was so great, it's that Christ is so great that Jesus is willing to overlook those things and to hear the call and to get him out of his mess, to bring him through that mess into righteousness into holiness this is the love that god has for us i was um i don't remember so i'll use an example from this week in my own heart i was praying because i was struggling with love for christ something had come up and someone was talking about just loving jesus and i'm like lord i don't love you like that i i respect god i fear god i trust god and i honor god but I can't say that I have this affection for Christ. And I was praying about that. Lord, what do I do with this? There's something lacking inside of me. I'm not, I'm not rounded out in my Christianity as I desire to be. What do I do with this? And so I was praying about that. First John comes to mind. We love because God first loved us. It's like, Lord, does that mean that I have the wrong view of you? I don't see God as being one who loves me. I see God as king. I see God as Lord. I see God as master. I see God as boss. I see God as God. Do I see him as he who loves me? Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Do I see God as he who serves me so that I could serve him? Or do I see God as being the cruel taskmaster that says, Joe, get your stuff in order Uh, that's the second one not so much the first one so it was in that lack of love that I saw that I have the wrong view of God here we see the right view of God bring your son bring your son I will serve you that you can get out of this mess I will bless you that you can get out of this mess that you got yourself into I will love you what else do we see? We see distraction. There it comes. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy. No, actually, it's, a, it's still different. I don't know how I got a different sermon. I must have just sent you the wrong one. I apologize. So when I'm writing these sermons, I don't usually, sometimes I write just one, sometimes I write multiple, and I'll just send one to Linda, and I might have sent her the wrong text or the wrong sermon notes. Nevertheless, the demon then tried to divide the Son from Christ. As the Son was coming, as the Father was bringing the Son to Christ, the demon fights against the will of God, the love of God. And the demonic powers do that to us. And so this is a revelation of truth. The demonic powers do that to us. They try to, they try to break your concentration. When you're doing your devotions, how many of you are distracted? It happens. So what do you do? Cry out to God. God, You repent. You come back. Lord, forgive me. I was distracted. I come back. Then I was distracted again. Lord, forgive me. I was distracted. I was reading Zephaniah earlier this week. And I realized after a whole chapter, I don't remember anything I was reading. Lord, forgive me. I was thinking about something else. What do we do? We come back. We come back to Christ. Because what what do the demons not want? They don't want us coming to Christ. So why is this demon convulsing the boy here to keep him away from christ so why are we distracted to keep us away from christ how do we thwart that how do we prevent that we come back to christ we don't allow shame and fear and guilt to to bring us separate us from christ because even what is our um i went the wrong direction what is our bible verse for today come on it's in there somewhere for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. It doesn't hold on to regret. It doesn't hold on to guilt. It doesn't hold on to shame. It comes back to Christ and leaves it there. It comes back to Christ and it leaves it there. And so, what do we see? The demonic powers, do so you want to do the work of the demons and the work of the devil? Allow shame, guilt, and fear to keep you from Christ. That's what Satan wants. You want to do the work of God? Come back to Jesus in repentance. Lord, forgive me. I was distracted. Be honest. Be open. You can even do that right now. Lord, forgive me. I haven't been listening to Pastor Joe for how long has he been speaking now, really? (laughs) You could do that. Don't do it out loud, please. That would be distracting. (laughs) But that's what's going on. Distracted. Finally, we see the majesty of Christ because we see the power of God. We see that the things in this world, that was, yeah, the silence. That was from last week. Um we see that the things of this world do not get us what we want. Even we had power, we had prestige, we had authority, we had any of these things. They didn't get us where we want. They don't get us what we want. It's only Christ. It's only Christ that can give us freedom. And the interesting thing is, Christ gives us freedom. Freedom, and Christ then gives us power, but not power to do whatever we want, power then to serve him. He doesn't bind like the demonic powers do. He doesn't seize control like the demonic powers do. He doesn't take us away from ourselves like the things of this world. Have you ever met anyone who has given themselves completely over to money? What do they think about all the time? Money. What do they talk about all the time? Money. Are they willing to sell their friends and their family for money? Yeah. So what has taken control of them? Money. I've seen people do that for power. Seen people do that for prestige and for position. For the honor of other people that they're willing to sell out all of their friends in order to maybe make this one friend. They're willing to throw you away for the sake of someone else. That's the work of the demonic powers. They get us into an ideological fix. They work in all sorts of ways, not just through oppression and possession, but they will work through ideologies too. You can't even talk to those people. I've watched people become so fixated upon a theological point that they can't think of anything else other than the rapture. Every time I talk to this person, it's the rapture. And what's the rapture doing and how these people are wrong and whatnot. God can take those, or Satan can take those things and twist them and bring, come, make us bound to them too. So what does christ offer freedom he has the power to give us freedom but not freedom to serve ourselves because that binds us again freedom to serve him because then we have true freedom then we have true joy then we have true peace then we have the riches that the world is looking for in christ that's the majesty of god that's the true how great is god that he gives us everything that the world is selling their lives for. He just freely offers it and says, just come to me, just come to me. And so what's the reality? We in and of ourselves are powerless. I can't, I can't make myself rich. I can't make myself famous. I can't make myself anything. I can't do it. I don't have the power. I am powerless. I can't make myself free. I am powerless. But if I'm looking to myself, then I'm in the faithless and twisted generation. So what do we do? We look to Christ. We call out to Christ because he is is calling out to us. He is saying, come. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come to me. I'll fix it. Come to me. I'll bring you through it. Come to me. That's the majesty of God because he has the power to do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father. We thank you. We thank you for your word and the power of your word. We thank you for your grace and your love. Lord, we thank you for your love. That you are he who loves us. Bring us to repentance for our false understandings of you. Lord, that we would leave them behind and seek you. That we would leave them behind and love you. Lord, trust you and honor you as you, as we ought. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself and revealing us through this text.